Hello, it's great to be with you again today. Thank you for joining us. Um, you know, we live in remarkable times. I'm not just talking about this remarkable year that we've had, this COVID-19 year, but we live in a remarkable era. Um, some call the era in which we live the fourth revolution. So in the 1700s, when the steam engine was, was um, invented that led to the Industrial Revolution, in the 1800s, the invention of electricity, which led to so much change and progress. Uh, the 1900s, technology, computing, machinery, which led to such mass production of things. And now, in what people sometimes call the fourth revolution, we've got this incredible fusion of powerful things like the internet and um, the internet and quantum computing and artificial intelligence and so many things which are having an immense impact on our world. Uh, one of the things that is remarkable about this time in which we live is the amount of knowledge that we have. We have an incredible amount of knowledge. Um, some, some days, often days, I will read on my mobile phone, my smartphone, I will read four newspapers. And I recall, um, because they're so handy, just on the phone, so easy. And I recall reading once that the modern human being consumes more knowledge before breakfast than our ancestors consumed in decades and maybe even a lifetime. We have such vast knowledge. And yet, how deep is that knowledge? Uh, we know a little bit about a lot of things. For example, with my mobile phone as I read the papers, I confess that mostly what I'm reading is headlines and just the bit of the blurb underneath it. And occasionally I'll, you know, tap and read a bit more depth. But mostly, like, you know, it's quite a superficial knowledge that we have from the way we uh, consume our knowledge these days. Indeed, um, it's a bit of a paradox of our age that there is so much knowledge and yet it's questionable whether we are any wiser than our ancestors. Um, we have so many more degrees and yet do we have a depth of understanding? Um, it's an era in which there we have more, more, more and yet less, less, less of some other things. More medicine, but less wellness. Um, bigger houses, but um, smaller families. Um, uh, more degrees, but less sense. And I'm quoting a, a poem that was written by Bob Moorhead um, about this, the great paradox of our era. He writes, um, uh, we've gone to the moon and back but we can't seem to keep in touch with the neighbours in our very same streets. You know, there's a lot of paradoxes in this era in which we live in. And one of those paradoxes is around our knowledge. How deeply do we really know things? And I want to bring that question, how deeply do we know things, to how deeply do we know the Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas? Um, how deeply do we know? You know, it's so easy to, to stereotype Jesus as a babe in a manger, um, you know. And so this Christmas, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9 over a couple of weeks and the prophecy that Isaiah brought about this coming son who would be born, this child. Um, Isaiah prophesied that this child, the one we know as Jesus Christ, would be 
wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Wow, they are mind-expanding descriptions about Jesus Christ and perhaps a little bit uncomfortable. And we, 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 we perhaps have a tendency to um, think about Jesus in terms that are very comfortable for ourselves. Um, in this book by Philip Yancey, The Jesus I Never Knew, uh, he quotes a poem by William Blake, the vision of Christ that thou dost see is my vision's greatest enemy. Thine has a great hook nose like thine. Mine has a snub nose like to mine. Both read the Bible day and night, but thou readst black where I read white. You know, perhaps we tend to think about Jesus in ways in which are quite comfortable for us. I, I remember once on a trip to Europe, uh, going and seeing some of the great Renaissance religious art pieces. And whether those art pieces were painted by an Italian, paper, uh, Italian painter or a French painter or even an English painter, those, those imaginings of what Jesus looked like were remarkably um, like the tribe that the painter came from, Italian Jesus, French Jesus, English Jesus. Um, in fact, um, Philip Yancey goes on to say that during the wars of religion with France, the English used to shout, the Pope is French, but Jesus Christ is English. You know, we tend to comfortably think about Jesus. Um, we tend to comfortably think about them through the lens of ourselves. Um, I want Isaiah's prophecy to expand our understanding of Jesus these weeks. And there are some terms which are beautiful and 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 lovely terms for us to contemplate. Jesus is, um, Jesus is the, the supernatural, amazing counsellor, wonderful counsellor, and he is the Prince of Peace. These are lovely phrases. But it's a bit jarring when we come to the phrase everlasting father. Jesus as everlasting father, is, is Isaiah confused? Uh, or is this a translation error? Era because there is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Spirit. So why does this prophecy refer to Jesus as everlasting Father? Is the Trinity confused? Are there two fathers? Um, and if, uh, if you're an Anglican watching this, you probably are, then at the back of your prayer book, you'll find one of the creeds of the early church where they thought deeply about these issues. So the Athanasian Creed, at the end of your prayer book, uh, the Athanasian Creed says this in part, uh, the Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. And so there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And it goes on. It's a wonderful reflection on the co-eternal three persons, co-equal in the Trinity. Um, it says, He, therefore, that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity, unity in Trinity, and Trinity in unity is what we worship. Now, there's no confusion in the Trinity, um, but perhaps we tend to oversimplify Jesus. And so we don't tend to use that phrase, everlasting Father. But a contemplation of um, 
the amazing person that Jesus is in, in, in all his, his fullness as a person is a really worthy thing. Now, I've also got with me um, a card that I got in the mail this week. A friend of ours, the Reverend Dr. Yvonne Patterson, a wonderful person, passed away a few months ago and um, her good friend sent us a card uh, following the funeral. Um, and uh, in this card, there are some of the descriptions of Yvonne by friends, her many friends and family. Uh, these were some of the things that people said about Yvonne, that she was a great lady and a wonderful servant of Christ, an amazing person, a wonderful friend, a great teacher, full of love, a very funny sense of humour, very naughty sense of humour, a great friend, uh, one who made a great, a huge contribution to the Australian church and the wider community, a precious friend, never failed to entertain, um, an inspiration, a teacher, scholar, evangelist, one who trusted Jesus, a light and an inspiration. All of those things were true about Yvonne. People are complex and Jesus Christ is no less but even more complex and we ought not to be surprised and not to be satisfied with compartmentalising Jesus into some little stereotype. In fact, Philip Yancey uh, says in his book that he had this image of Jesus from childhood as a shepherd and himself as a sheep. Um, we tend to latch on to some description of Jesus. Let's have our minds expanded uh, by Isaiah's prophecy. The great preacher, Spurgeon said about a contemplation about Jesus, he said this, he said, glorious mysteries are hidden in his person. He speaks to us in the plainest language. He manifested himself openly amongst humanity, yet there is in his person a height, a depth, a breadth, which the human intellect fails to measure easily. Looking long and steadily never fails but to elevate one's soul. Uh, what a great encouragement. So let's think about what it means to call Jesus Christ, this prophesied son and child that Isaiah spoke of. What does it mean for Jesus to be described as everlasting father? These are two words which humans struggle with. Everlasting for a start. Now, what in our world is everlasting? We're often, uh, we're often sad about the fact that things don't last forever. And so when we come to this phrase, everlasting, uh, something that endures forever, that has no beginning and that will have no end, it is hard for us to wrap our minds around that. Eternal, this is what is being said about Jesus Christ. This child who would be born was indeed from the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Jesus called himself the Alpha and the begin the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is to come. Hmm. This word everlasting. It's fascinating that in our world so much is disposable. We create disposable things, uh, items, although of recent times, um, Here's a depth of wisdom. You know, we're coming to value things that endure more and more. We know that they're better. So here is Jesus described as everlasting. And that's married to another phrase. It's an adjective attached to this phrase, father. Father is another word that 
um, we tend to bring our own baggage to when we think about what it means because all of us have or had fathers and those fathers, each of us would describe differently on a scale of somewhere from fantastic, a great father, a good father, an okay father, um, a lousy father, even an abusive father. Some people are very uncomfortable thinking about God, any, any, any part of the Trinity um, in terms of fatherhood because of a bad experience of a human father. So we bring this baggage to our thinking about father. Um, but let's try and suspend that for a moment and think, what does it mean when we say father? Well, a father is one who begets, who in partnership creates um, a person. They are an originator. They are, if you like, well, when we think about when these phrases were written by Isaiah the prophet in the ancient Near East, the father was the family head giving birth to a line, a family line. Um, interestingly, scripture describes Adam as the father, um, the originator, if you like, the father, the, the representative head, if you like, of the living. And sadly, uh, this representative head in the Garden of Eden of all living, of all living beings, of all human beings, um, sadly, this father, Adam, um, uh, committed a sin and cursed us all, um, doomed us all to live in a fallen world as a, as a result. And therefore, Scripture says, in Adam all die, but says in Christ all live because Jesus Christ is the representative head, the father, of salvation and grace and redemption. So whilst in Adam all die, in Christ, coming under his fatherhood, his representative headship of salvation, in Christ, we all live. And suspending this idea further about our own, our own fathers, as we read Holy Scripture, what we read again and again and again is a, is a description of an ideal father. And uh, we don't have time to look at all of the references, but in scripture we read about a father as one who fundamentally loves their child and who guides and instructs and encourages and warns and trains and rebukes and nourishes. Um, the father who delights in his children, who is considerate of their needs and burdens, who is tender and at times self-restrained, nurturing, never forsaking their child. This is the ideal father that is described in scripture. So now when we combine everlasting father, we have this wonderful image of unchanging, eternal, from the beginning to the end, the same. The one who was and is who is to come. Unchanging Father, representative head, Jesus Christ, who loves and who nurtures and who sustains and guides and saves, who is self-restrained and tender and considerate of our needs and burdens. That is a wonderful depth of understanding of Jesus, everlasting Father. This description of Jesus, 
combine it with wonderful counsellor, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father, who, one who nourishes our souls and who does it reliably in an unchanging way. So this Christmas, the Christmas we need, is one where our souls are nourished as we come to more deeply understand our Saviour, Jesus Christ, the one who is always there, um, eternally there for you and for me. Not to be confused with the Trinitarian preeminent Father, nor the life-giving Spirit, but yet Father-like, everlasting Father. Wow. Um, I'll just conclude by saying, Amen.